Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We got to talk about people getting fired on the days off and other guys getting some really good jobs on top of what is the top 25 going to look like going into Tuesday before championship Saturday. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, folks? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we got to talk about some shaking up near the top and at the top for me in the latest top 25 rankings for the AP and what they might look like going in the college football playoff selection committee's rankings on Tuesday ahead of championship Saturday, the fallout of Ohio State. Michigan of the Apple Cup of Florida State versus Florida rivalry rivalry week, excuse me, did not disappoint as well. Alabama did what only Alabama could do to Auburn. But let's start with the news. I should also say that we are taping this Sunday afternoon at 5:30 Eastern Standard Time, 4:30 my time. And I guess I should know what time it was in LA, but I don't. I just left LA and I'm already just here on fumes. But like you, I've been on the phone. And I've been reading the news. Between those two things, I am wired up because you learned, like I learned, that Oklahoma offensive coordinator Jeff Levy has taken the job at Mississippi State to be the new head coach out there in Starkville. This one made all the sense in the world to me. As you'll know, my background is being from Oklahoma, having gone to school at the University of Tulsa and the University of Oklahoma. And I got to know Zach Selman when I was still in school, Zach Selman being the athletic director at Mississippi State. And yes, That is Dewey's boy and Leroy and Lucius's nephew. If you don't know much about the Selman brothers, man, you got some reading to do. Put it this way. They are defenders. They got statues. All right. Like you can't talk about Oklahoma football without talking about what the Selman brothers mean to Oklahoma football. It goes Barry Switzer and then the Selman brothers. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you should know that Zach Selman has basically been groomed for this job since leaving Wake Forest, where he also won in a, ACC championship as a tight end in 2006, graduated 07, went to work at Oklahoma, spent just a year working for Bubba Cunningham in North Carolina, was also University of Tulsa athletic director when I was in school, went back to Oklahoma, and then finally got this job as the new AD at Mississippi State and made the first tough decision that he's had to make of what I'm sure are going to be many in firing Zach Arnett after one year after the passing of Coach Leach. And now... He has made yet another pivotal decision to go get the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. 
and Jeff Levy. You'll know that they had known each other as they both worked at Oklahoma at the same time. It was no secret that Jeff Levy wanted to be a head coach. He did not want to be a coordinator for very long. It was just a matter of time. And I think this is coming along right at the right time for both of those guys. You got a young offense, or excuse me, young offensive-minded head coach, and you got a young athletic director. Both of those guys got an opportunity to grow together. And Jeff Levy knows what it means to coach in the Egg Bowl, which still means quite the world to so many of us. I mean, me growing up in Mississippi, you picked Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And I got to tell you, I ain't never picked Ole Miss because, well, if you know, you know. If you don't, you should know that Jeff Levy was also offense coordinator for a couple of years for Lane Kiffin and quarterbacks coach. He's going to have that opportunity each and every year. I'm sure that rivalry is going to be a lot of fun. It ain't going to be like Lane Kiffin versus Coach Leach, but it's going to be pretty good as Levy knows from offensive football. Now, for Oklahoma fans, I don't know that they're that upset about this in the way that, say, Oklahoma fans were upset about Lincoln Riley going to USC because, well, the offense, while good this year, has been real hit or miss. Now, it sounds odd to say that when you look at a Big 12 offense that is averaging 42 points per game and leads the Big 12 in scoring and won 10 games this year, but that's after scoring just about 32-34 last year in year one. But there were days when we were looking at Oklahoma playing offensive football and going, what is the play caller doing? And then there are other days like Texas Christian, where he puts up 69 <laughs> in the final Big 12 game for Oklahoma. I think most people are excited for Levy to get his head coaching experience. I also think this is an opportunity for Levy to put the band back together. He had Art Browse on the sideline at Oklahoma. I dare say he'll have Art Browse on the sideline in Starkville. And maybe he looks over at Texas Christian, goes to Kendall Browse and says, hey, brother-in-law, would you like to come on down? Or maybe he looks at Phil Montgomery at Auburn and says, hey, would you like to come on down? Let's put the band back together. Let's see if we can't turn Mississippi State into the SEC's version of Baylor. And, you know, I wouldn't put it past him to be able to do just that. I think it's, again, it's a good hire for Selman. I'm sure that he got his blessing from Joe Constiglione, who's a legend in the game and has been around Oklahoma football for as long as most people can remember, going back to 1998. But I also think this is an opportunity for Levy to show what kind of a leader that he can be, because one of the things that was really called into question is his role at Baylor during that sexual assault scandal and his role as a head coach, what would that look like? How was he going to talk about what he did at Baylor or didn't do at Baylor, what he did at Oklahoma, and how that's going to influence, well, playing against Brent Venables in Oklahoma, to say nothing to Texas, in a new SEC in 2024. Really exciting time in college football, but I think most Oklahoma fans are already looking toward who could you go get to be the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, there's a lot of names out there, and I could throw them out till you know I'm blue in the face here, but I would be remiss if I didn't look at Brent Venables and say, hey, remember the guys that you were coordinating against at uh, practice at Clemson? Maybe you want to go take a look at a Brandon Streeter, right? Maybe you want to take a look at, well, I'm not going to say that other name because it's just, it's a little too close, but uh, I think Brent Venables is going to do a really good job of picking out the offensive coordinator. And I think Oklahoma is going to be in a really good spot. The last thing to take into account here is that Jackson Arnold's dad was <laughs> shout out to the OU daily. First of all, I cut my teeth at the OU daily, which is the student paper at the university of Oklahoma. But we didn't treat it that way. They already had Jackson Arnold's dad on the horn. And the quote is Jeff Levy's going to Mississippi state. Jackson Arnold plays for Oklahoma, and that made Oklahoma fans so excited because we don't know what Dylan Gabriel is going to do. I expect this is going to be his last year 
of playing college football, which means that the five-star quarterback coming out of Texas inherits the job. And if you've seen him, you know that dude's got a cannon for an arm. He's got wheels. He's got everything that you want in an Oklahoma quarterback and could help Oklahoma vault into a really great competitive, dare I say, SEC championship caliber season in its first year in the SEC. But I think if Jackson Arnold continues to stay at Oklahoma, everything's going to be okay. Everybody's going to wish Jeff Levy well while looking at offensive coordinator saying, do you see what we have here? You should come by. You should take a look at this. We're actually really good at this. And we got Brent Venables with an outstanding defense on the other side. Come get you some of this Oklahoma in the way that Kirby Smart would say, come get you some of this SEC. That means Oklahoma now too. Now, let's get off of Oklahoma offense coordinator Jeff Levy going to Mississippi State to be the new head coach and talk about yet another SEC West vacancy that has been filled. Texas A&M set to hire Duke's Mike Elko as next head coach. Again, that news just became official as we were taping at 5.30 Eastern Standard Time. And this one, we were talking about this one in the conference room in between doing the live tailgate yesterday and doing the show on set. This made the most sense in the world to all of us. Uh, and his first name that came out of my mouth because it just fit. Mike Elko spent four years as a defensive coordinator at Texas A&M before becoming the head coach at Duke, which means you really got to want to be a head coach because Duke is a tough job. But he took that tough job and has turned Duke into a winner. They won nine games last year. He had Riley Leonard looking like a Heisman candidate until he gets hurt. And they're going back-to-back -back bowl games. And that's never that's happened just once before him, right? And we're really talking about a Duke program that had been down and nobody really expects much of it because Duke is a basketball school and they embrace that. But when you do what they did against Clemson, you're going to turn some heads. And Mike Elko was a guy who was saying, I don't want to build the program. I want to win right now. We will build as we win. We're going to win right now. We're going to do it the right way. I think that's going to work at a place like AM. But I got to tell you this that man did what I thought was almost impossible in turning Duke into a winner and taking them bowling back to back years. I can still tell you, Texas AM is a tougher job than Duke. I'll put it this way Texas AM ain't won nothing in the 21st century. Texas A&M got to take it back to 1998 for the last time it won a conference championship. Texas A&M ain't been relevant since the Southwest Conference existed, all right? It's tough to win over there in College Station, and it ain't got nothing to do with players. You'll know like I know they signed one of the greatest classes of all time just a couple years ago and got diddly squat for it. Talking about seven and five. With that roster, with those recruits, with a national title winning head coach that they were paying everything to get in the door and paying everything to kick him out so that they could go get a Mike Elko to lead them. Now, we're hearing all these talk about Texas A&M really tightening his purse strings, saying we're looking around, seeing other people don't spend as much money as we do trying to be good and they're better than us. What if we decided to not give out as many of those resources as we have in the past? really pull back the private jet ski and take it on the weekend so that my, my staffers cannot go recruit on the private jet. Maybe we're also not going to pay that guy $80 million to go away. Maybe we're going to build that into the buyout, say it's going to be a little bit less. But I also think that Mike Elko is going to have to train that booster program. That's why it's a tough job. You're going to have to train fans on what it means to be a winning football program because unlike NFL teams, you got to deal with all us when you are the head coach at one of the blue blood 
pristine universities in our sport. Matter of fact, I credit Barry Stoops or Barry Stoops, Bob Stoops with this one. And I think he picked it up with Barry Switzer, but it was look, we got three million head coaches in the state of Oklahoma, but only one getting paid to do it. That's how it is at AM. Everybody got an opinion about what you should be doing. Everybody's buddy Garrett in Friday Night Lights going, hey, I got some fellas in here that want to talk to you and they don't want to visit. Hey, they want to talk about which scheme is. How are you getting after them? Why are we running this play? Why is it this quarterback here? Why aren't we recruiting in this way? How come Alabama still kicks us? Like, you're going to deal with that if you're Elko. I think he's got thick skin, though. I think he's going to be able to deal with this. And I think him having been defensive coordinator and done well there as defensive coordinator is going to go a long way. And we all know from Mike Elko coaching defense at Notre Dame and, of course, uh, A&M, but also at Duke. Again, 16-9 and at Duke. If you go 16-9 and at A&M, they're probably going to fire you. Right. Whereas at Duke, they're trying to extend you. They're trying to keep you. I just think that what they want right now is to compete for championships and they're not close. They're not close. And that's still that feels wild to say, because it not 2012. We're talking about just 11 years ago, a Heisman winner, an SEC coach of the year. You beat Bama and it hadn't been that good since. Right. We're looking around going, when's it going to get better for them? And I think it's about A&M wanting to win football games more than they want to be Texas A&M. I, I say this often, but Aggie fans on something different. Whatever it is that, you know, the rest of us are smoking when we think that we're going to win a national championship, they're smoking something way more powerful, okay? Because I didn't even fix my mouth to say Oklahoma was going to win a national championship in 2023, but they started 7-0. and A&M is looking at hiring Bobby Petrino, Connor Weidman at quarterback, Evan Stewart at wideout going, yeah, we can win it. We can beat Georgia in an SEC championship game. I'm sorry, what? And then they had to deal with the timeline of this thing is they're really coming to understand how we view them. And they're having to deal with that because you'll know that there were folks that thought Mark Stoop was going to take this job as head coach, at being head coach of Kentucky. He has since re-upped to Kentucky. They're very happy to have him, especially after beating Louisville, a top 10 team, for a fifth straight time in a rivalry game. But I checked the AM message boards. Late last night and early this morning, and they will tell you the same story. How could this man turn down Texas A&M? Hey, dog, maybe at Kentucky they treat you a little bit better than y'all have treated your head coaches in recent memory. And anybody that's got $80 million in the couch cushions to tell Jimbo Fisher to go kick rocks is not somebody I want to do business with because I'm not doing business with you. The conversation is, RJ, do you know how much money you get paid to do these jobs? I'm going... I don't know, dog. There's only so much money I can get paid before my quality of life is more important than the money I am making. And I say this about everybody. There is a threshold for which you will get paid and be happy. But there's also a threshold for who do you work with? How is it to work with them? How long have you been working at that company? What kind of creature comforts come with this? These are all things that you take on as an adult. Teenagers. Ne'er-do-wells. Fans that really don't understand, people that don't pay their mortgages. Those are the people who look at the money and go, you know what? I could do anything for that amount of money. No, you can't. No, you can't. And if Mike Elko gets into this and he sniffs that they're not going to let him do this thing the way he needs to do it, then you got to really take a look around and say, do I want this job? I'm telling you, AM fans, stay out of his way. 
I think you got a good football coach. I think that you should feel privileged to have a great football coach, one that is defensive minded, is going to go probably hire you a really great offensive coordinator. It's going to make you happy. But for the most part, it's you that is the problem, not the coaches, not the players, you. Figure yourself out. And then talk to me about Texas A&M being relevant and winning championships. Another head coaching vacancy was filled, but this one in the Big Ten. We learned late after the Oregon-Oregon State rivalry game was played that Michigan State had hired Oregon State's Jonathan Smith as the next head coach at Michigan State. And this is a great hire, I think, for Michigan State. It is a coach that we all respect and who knows how it feels and how hard it is to dig out of the bottom and make your program relevant, make your program into a top 25 program. Dare I say, number 11, when they were playing the last game of the season, that felt really just impossible even five years ago for Oregon State. But that's who Jonathan Smith has turned out to be. He took over the program that had lost three times as many games as it won in the previous four years, just 12 and 36. And in the last six years, they've gone 34 and 35 and 25 and 13 in the past three years. Jonathan Smith, who felt like a guy that could have been an Oregon State lifer as he played quarterback over there for Mike Riley, who I love, who if you are in football, you just genuinely enjoy. But Jonathan Smith has that same sort of demeanor. You like that guy. He wants to like you. He does not put on airs. And I think at a place like East Lansing, where they kind of been on edge here for over a year, where they're used to having a Tom Izzo to really look at and say, man, that's that's the kind of guy that I want leading my basketball program. They would like to have that feeling in their football coach. I don't know that Mel Tucker was that guy, even when he was winning 11 games. I think Jonathan Smith's going to come in. He's going to probably clean house, and he's going to slowly build this thing, but it's going to be tough in East Lansing because that job has never been easy, which is why when Mark D'Antonio was having it rolling, that I felt like that was one of the best coaching jobs that I'd seen in some recent memory. But now you're adding USC, you're adding Washington, you're adding Oregon, you're adding UCLA to an already really stout conference. So I think there's some work to be done. It's not going to be overnight, but I think Michigan State is going to have to learn. Yeah, we're going to have to wait once again. We're going to have to let Jonathan Smith build this the way that he knows how. And if you let him, I think you're going to be consistently winning football games, you're going to get the bowl eligibility again, and you're going to, once in a while, challenge Ohio State, Michigan, and then we get to talk about you being the kind of team that, once again, can compete for a college football playoff spot. And by the way, that's going to get relatively easier next year when we go from four teams to 12 teams. I think it's a great hire for Michigan State. Very happy to see that they got this done with Oregon State. They're also kind of, or excuse me, Oregon State, with Jonathan Smith, but they did get it done with Oregon State because it was a $3 million buyout, which is paltry. And we're really thinking about what these buyouts are. Do you know that Gus Malzahn got paid $21 million to go away? That 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 Jimbo Fisher got paid $76 million to go away? You know, leads me to who else is getting paid lots of money to go away? Man, all right. So Indiana fires Tom Allen. After it just wasn't going well. All right. He started out pretty good. Eight and five in 2019, six and two in 2020, really this close to knocking off Ohio State in what would have been what was a national championship caliber Ohio State team. And then the wheels came off two and 10 in 2021, four and eight in 2022, and three and two in 2023. But I don't think that it was the three and nine that really messed them up three and nine in 2023. 
I think it was IU fans watching Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix Jr. run the table at Washington. Because you'll remember, Kalen DeBoer was the offensive coordinator at Bloomington, and Michael Penix Jr. was quarterback in Bloomington when they were winning these games. And it feels like they retained the wrong guy, and they let the guy who I thought, man, Michael Penix Jr. is such a great comeback story. You, you saw the talent, but everybody had the questions about the knee. Everybody had questions about could he win the big game? And you could see he did that in the Apple Cup, but they just found ways to win in Seattle. And if you're in Indiana, you're going, wait a second, timeout. We had this? They won 12 games over there. They just went undefeated. They're probably going to make the college football playoff. And we're going three and nine. This cannot stand, man. So they ponied up $20.8 million to fire Tom Allen before December 3rd. Like, that's in the contract. You owe him this money. If you fire him after the conference championships are played, now that makes a lot of sense because, well, regular season's over a week before conference championships are played. But you get my point here. Somebody decided, no, we will go a different direction and we will come up with $21 million to do so. Sucks because I think that Tom Allen is a great dude and I think he's a great defensive mind. It just wasn't coming together as quickly as it needed to. And frankly, kind of going back to Jonathan Smith and Michigan State, this is a tough job. Indiana in the Big Ten is hard, man. You're, you have been in the Big Ten East, which has featured not just Ohio State and Michigan, but Maryland, who won seven games. Rutgers, who's going bowling. Michigan State is off and on again, right? And then there's you, who also, you lose your rivalry game with Purdue. That doesn't help you. Purdue, who's played in the Big Ten championship game the last couple of years, that doesn't help you. Watching Iowa not need an offense to win 10 games. Look at Indiana going, well, what do you need an offense for if you're a defensive-minded coach? I understand why Indiana fans might be upset and the reason why the brass at Indiana decided to make this change. But look at $20 million, $21 million, and saying, yeah, we will pay that. Dog, I can't wait to just see what buyouts look like even two, three years from now because the number just keeps going up. We didn't see anybody pay $21 million to send somebody out before Gus Malzahn, and now we've seen at least three cases of this, and I say at least because we don't know what Dino Babers is getting paid to not coach Syracuse next year, and we won't know for some other private universities that would prefer us not to know how much money they are willing to pay somebody to move out of their house. I just, I find that funny. And you know what? Good for Tom Allen. I hope he sits down like Jimbo Fisher for a while and mows his lawn for the foreseeable future because if you're going to get paid $21 million to not work, why work? That's that's where I'm at. You know who else might actually have that same thought? Dana Holgerson, as Houston decided it was going to part ways with Dana Holgerson after year five. Again, like Tom Allen at Indiana, it was looking good just a couple of years ago. 12-2 and two in 2021, 8-5 and five in 2022, and then your first year, Big 12 play, because you wanted this, Houston. Dana Holgerson wanted to get back to the Big 12. You want to play big boy football. You go four and eight and two and seven in conference play. That is not who Houston thinks it is. Houston got an AM problem. We're talking about this. Houston believes that it should be doing what Tulane has been doing. And Tulane has lost three games in three years. We're talking about back to back years of winning 10 games or more. They're going to host the American Conference Championship game. They're going to play a great SMU team. And they are really this close to going back to back in New Year's Six Bowls, even with James Madison doing what they're doing, even with Liberty being undefeated. That's how much we think of Tulane. 
So it makes sense to me that if you're Houston and you see what Tulane has done, understanding what kind of athletic budget they have and how they're kind of comparable, you might make room to try to make a run at their guy in Willie Fritz. Meanwhile, you still got to take pay Donny Holgerson to go away. Then that was kind of the point that Dana Holgerson himself made even last spring. He told Sam Kahn Jr. over at The Athletic, we won 20 games in two years. We won bowl games in back-to-back years. I have five years on my contract with an effing impossible buyout. So there ain't no effing hot seat in my mind. That just ain't it. Houston Booster said, oh, really? And came up with $14.8 million to tell that man, yeah, dog, kick rocks. Get on up out of here. We would rather pay $15 million to you than fix the power grid in the state of Texas. I love Dana Hogerson because he's always been a great quote and he's been kind to me. And I really enjoy watching his Oklahoma State teams with Brandon Whedon, Justin Blackman. And I think he's a great offensive mind. I hope he considers coaching elsewhere as an offense coordinator, maybe a head coach. We'll see. He's 62 years old. And he's a leech disciple. And, and those dudes, they they march to their own beat, including Lincoln Riley for that matter. But I found it quite funny that Dana Hogerson said this out loud last spring and that the boosters that read that quote said, challenge accepted and move whatever money they got to move around to make this happen at the University of Houston, which is how I go back to Houston doesn't think at all that they shouldn't be winning the Big 12 championship. They think they should be Tulane. They think they should be Central Florida. They think they should be right there the whole way. But it's, hey, dog, you could have been Central Florida. You could have been Tulane, Central Florida last year. But in the Big 12, where we play big boy football, you're going to need a little bit more, right? You're going to need a little bit more help. Maybe you need to spend a little bit more money. Maybe you even need to go get a head coach who's won conference championship, even national championships. Maybe Jimbo Fisher looks at $77 million, but they still have to pay him if he takes another job and says, I'll just move to Houston and see what that's like. But I also think it's funny that Houston would uh, would do this, and yet I don't go back to what has Houston been like historically? I mean, in, in the 70s, 60s and 70s, they're running it up. Like I told you the story about Houston tying Texas in 1968 and that was enough for Daryl K. Royal, whose name is on the stadium at Texas, to say, I'm never scheduling Houston again. That Houston looked at Elmo Wright and said, hey, aren't you the black dude that wanted the Texas offer? He said, I sure as hell did. Come on down to Houston. We get to beat them this year. Come on down. We got Bill Yeoman handing out the money in the envelope, letting people know, hey, we did this together. You do what you're going to do. We're going to get paid. We're going to see them get, they got penalized by the NCAA And how did they respond? They had Andre Ward throw for a million yards in 1989, not a single game on television, and he won the damn Heisman. Became the first black quarterback to win the Heisman Trophy. Houston believes that Houston should be a national title contender. And now they're saying, see, we will spend $15 million to do so. I don't know if that's true. I think the Tom Herman got them as close as they were probably going to get. But you know what? In the new Big 12, anything is possible. Go do what you got to do, Houston Cougars, to be relevant. I don't think you're going to be as good as Carl Lewis's track team, but you can sure as hell try. All right, let's talk about the top 25 ranking, the AP and mine. I think right at the top, I moved Michigan to number one. I believe Michigan has the best win of anybody in college football. They are undefeated. We went, what, nine weeks saying they ain't played nobody. They ain't played nobody. Well, they played somebody. 
I, even if you don't think Penn State is anybody, they played Ohio State and they beat Ohio State handily. A defense that hadn't given up more than 17 points to a single opponent gave up 30 to Michigan. When in a game where JJ McCarthy played well but didn't have to overdo it, in a game where Michigan lost Zach Zinter to a season ending injury, what, how did they respond? Blake Quorum went to the end zone, flashed a 6 5. We saw the defense getting after the run game at Ryan Day. We saw the defense turning over Ohio State. Two picks, right? One at the start of the game, one to seal it. Gave up five catches and 118 yards of TD to Marvin Harrison Jr. Still were able, was able to win the football game. And Sharon Moore, I think, really ought to be considered for these jobs that we're talking about at this point. Like, I had to fill out my Brills Award ballot for the finalists just today. And I got that dude at number one. What he has done over the last three games, I wouldn't put it past anybody else to fail. You are an offensive coordinator who has never been a head coach, and now you are the guy making the big calls, making the big decisions. And the way in which he decided to go for it on fourth down three times against Ohio State, running trick plays, bringing in the backup quarterback to be a run threat, being very aggressive and having it work, these are all things that we deem James Franklin for. These are things that we ding Ryan Day for. Sharon Moore doing an outstanding job, and now you get Jim Harbaugh back on the sideline for the Big Ten Championship game. I'm excited for that because we're going to see, well, another a rematch of a couple years ago when Iowa played against Michigan. But also, you can understand why that team rallies behind Jim Harbaugh. I mean, what he presents to us as media and what he presents to us as fans is one thing. But seeing the photo of Zach Zinter going through surgery, Zach Center's parents on one side and Jim Harbaugh on the other tells you everything you need to know about why they love that man. Like there was all sorts of conversation about where was he during the game that he was not allowed to be on the sideline for. And as soon as we heard that that dude was in surgery, well, who pops up? His head coach. That's what you want. If you're a parent, that's why you send your kid to the University of Michigan. You want that guy at his bedside when he is down in the dumps, when there is no worse feeling. Because it's not just he hurt, he can't play. I love that. And I think Sharon Moore was personifying that. And if that is the kind of culture he can bring to any other institution, why not go hire that guy to be your head coach? I got Georgia at number two. They got Georgia at number one. Tomato, tomato for me, right? Both of them are really good. I wouldn't mind seeing them play each other again. I think this time Michigan actually puts up a pretty decent fight. Not just because I think Michigan is the best Michigan football team they've been since 1997, but because this ain't the Georgia team that played them in 2021. That Georgia team was amazing. That Georgia team was outstanding. That Georgia team's defense was, frankly, terrifying. And they got J.J. McCarthy playing quarterback this time as opposed to Cade McNamara. Not to throw shade at Cade McNamara, but, you know, Michigan put up 45 on Texas Christian college football playoff and couldn't move the ball at all, or so it felt against Georgia a couple years ago. They got Washington at number three. I got Washington at number three. I think we're all there. I left Florida State at number four, like the AP, because I wanted to see what Tate Rodmaker could do, and he did enough, right? If you think that Florida is decent to good, you're not going to penalize Florida State for winning a rivalry game. You're going to watch them walk into the conference championship game, and if they beat Louisville, I think they deserve a place at the table. Now, that said, Washington beats Oregon, who I have at three and who they have at three, it's going to be tough, right? It's going to be tough. But I think if we get chalk through the one through four, everybody gets what they want. Where we get a little bit of moving and shaking is if Oregon 
upsets Washington, if Alabama upsets Georgia, and if Texas beats Oklahoma State. These are all things that we're going to discuss on Tuesday night in some real depth, but I need to put that on your radar. One thing that I think we haven't considered is what if Iowa somehow upsets Michigan? What does that do to the college football playoff? Yo, that might be your lucky day if you are Texas or even Alabama in a loss. Now, I say that Alabama damn near lost to an Auburn team that put money in the bag against New Mexico State just last week, right? But I think that Alabama with Jalen Milrow has also shown, hey, we can come back from this. And if you are Oregon, if you are Washington, you're also looking at Michigan going, hey, Iowa, do us a solid. Not unlike Utah did Ohio State a solid last year when they beat USC a second time in the Pac-12 title game. So I don't want to just say that we're going to go chalk here because chalk isn't any fun, right? But we get one or two of these championship games that don't go the way that you or I might pick them to go, meaning that the favorite loses the game. Then we have something really to discuss on Selection Sunday on Sunday morning. Now, one more thing before we go out here. I think that Liberty has an opportunity to really make some noise. If they beat New Mexico State like a drum, they get to say, not only are we 12-0, we are 13-0. Why the hell aren't we ranked ahead of Tulane, who lost a football game this year, to which we'd be like, yo, Tulane lost a 10-win Ole Miss, dog. And we know what kind of a football team Tulane has been. They showed up to the Cotton Bowl, and they beat a USC team we all thought was good. It sucks for them, and it sucks for James Madison, honestly, because James Madison's also got to 11 wins. And I think both of those teams were as deserving as Tulane to get into a New Year's Six Bowl. I understand that there are blue bloods that listen to this show, watch this show, that are like, why are you talking about these group of five teams? Because I frankly love group of five teams. I went to a group of five school. I think of myself as a group of five being, I don't think of myself as a power five player. I think of myself as really having to get up and get after them in these games that I'm not expected to win. And then when I turn up 12-0, and 0, you want to deny me my opportunity to play for a national championship. Nah, nah. I think that everybody deserves the same opportunity to get beat to hell by Georgia. That's just how I see it, right? Now, with the 12-team playoff, I think that's the thing. You would get a Liberty into that. You would get a Tulane into that. You'd also get Alabama, Texas, without anybody shedding a tear, right? Everybody would get an opportunity. One of the reasons that I'm so excited for the 12-team playoff is you're not going to have to hear me yell about it because we're going to get to see it. We're going to get to see Liberty going at it, getting beat by 50, and then we get to say, see, you're not that good. All right, that is going to do it for today's episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our leads of screening, uh, Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistants, Kiara Santana and Kyla Morris put the special in our special teams. Kiara also running the show today. Social producer, Javion Duncan, make sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Taz Boulay is sending in the signals. Niles Owens on the ones and twos. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline. And the play snaps on my clap. We will be back live Tuesday night after the college football playoff selection committee reveals its top 25 rankings. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. Deuces. <laughs>